Hey, hey, we're in this series called This Is, and the, uh, the purpose and the intent of the series is for us to hit reset in regards to who we are called to be and what we're called to do as people who are following after God. And one of the reasons that we have to hit reset is because it is so easy <laughs> to be distracted <laughs> by life, right? I mean, have you ever sat in church, heard a message, maybe we're in a Bible study, maybe reading the Bible yourself, and you're like, this is great, I need to change my life, I need to get going, I need to make some changes, and then life hits, and you don't make those changes, and those changes kind of die on the vine. So we have to reset, because life distracts us from what we're called to do and who we're called to be. And, and at this particular time in 2021, it's really necessary to hit reset, as I said before, because you know, for the last year plus, the enemy has used a virus to isolate us, not just from each other, but from our purpose. Our purpose as Jesus followers and our purpose as, as a church. So we have to hit reset. And so I unapolog- unapologetically hit reset every week to remind us of what we're supposed to do. You know, I hit reset first for myself. Reset, this is me. You know, that my goal is to preach Christ. I, I must depend on Christ. And my only aim must be to take you to Christ. And then I did a message called Reset, This Is You where I said that, reminded you that you are just a mist, right? That's all you are, and and that your life is quickly passing away, and that if you're ever going to accomplish what God wants you to accomplish, you need to get busy because your life, like the sand in this hourglass, is passing away. And if you wait to do what God's called you to do, then you may never actually do that. And then we hit reset, this is us, and we began unpacking what we have on these banners, our vision, our vision is to connect people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. You know, our mission is to, is to seek the lost, to make disciples, and to show compassion. And last week we began to unpack our core values, you know, our, our non-negotiables, right? Um, our convictions that help anchor and guide us forward. They're kind of like a, the operating system, for us as Jesus followers and as a church, right? And, and, and here's the deal, that if we, if we actually would live out these core values, right, embrace and live them out, and live them out in increasing ways, you know what's going to happen? Lost people are going to be found. Disciples are going to be made, right? Compassion is going to be shown. And countless lives will be changed because they have a relationship with Jesus. But if all we do is have these on a banner, if all we do is talk about them on Sunday morning, or even have a, a real fancy, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, this, this thing we have, you know, when you walk in the doors, that costs some serious money. I can't remember what it was, but that wasn't cheap, right? You know, and, and uh, looks good. We wanted it to look good. Um, and, and I tell you, the evil one is okay with the banner. He's okay with that. He's okay with me talking about this stuff, right? He's not okay with us living it out, right? And, and so our goal is to say, hey, reset. This is not just something we stick on a wall. This is something that is supposed to guide our lives 
and move our church forward. We said our number one core value is we honor biblical authority. And, and what that means is that the Bible and nothing else is the ultimate authority in our life. Nothing else. And it means that whenever we find ourselves disagreeing with the Bible, it's because we're wrong. Amen? We are not over the Bible. We are under the Bible. And core value so critical? Number one, because he loved Jesus. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? You obey me. And those who love Jesus obey his teachings. Also because the Bible is inspired by God, it, it is useful, it is living and active, and the Bible will thoroughly equip us, according to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, for every good work that, every good work that God has us, has us to do, right? <clears throat> the only book we need, right, to accomplish all that we need for God is right here, right? We don't need worldly teaching, we don't need the wisdom of man, the knowledge of this age, the Bible is adequate. The Bible is sufficient for us to do what God has called us to do. Another reason why it's so critical is because to ignore its authority has consequences, both temporal and eternal. And to live under its authority has blessings. See, God has not called us simply to admire the Bible. <clears throat> it's allergies, I promise. Okay. No, aren't you like afraid to sneeze in public, right? You want to start shouting, unclean, unclean. No, I have an allergy. I just cough. People, believe it or not, before 2020, people actually coughed and had runny noses. Go figure, right? So uh, I'm actually good. I don't have a fever. I have not been around anybody. I've not been out of the country. You know, all those questions we get asked. You know, I was, uh, I'm totally good, right? But God has not called us simply to admire the Bible, um, to agree with the Bible. He's called us to live out the Bible. In fact, Jesus said this um, in Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Right? Why are you saying, Lord, you're the boss of my life, yet you're going to live any way that you want to? And then he says this, the Sermon on the Mount. And, and this is, if this doesn't make you a little bit uncomfortable, if it doesn't scare you just a little bit, because it scares me. But if it doesn't scare you, that scares me that it doesn't scare you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons? Your name preach sermons on Sundays and keep the nursery and perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me. You evildoers. Our number one core value is we honor biblical authority, right? And that should make you uncomfortable. That makes me uncomfortable. I don't know about you, I'd hate to hear that. And Jesus says, many will. Let's not have that be us, right? That verse terrifies me. It really does. Our core value number two is we depend on God. We, that's us, we depend, we rely on, we place our trust in, we lean into and count on God. And this core value, what we are declaring is that we're not relying or putting our trust in our own talent and ability and our own plans and strategies, intellect and strength and our own resources and reasoning, that we're not, we're not relying upon and putting our trust in any person, right? Right? Any human teaching, 
any worldly government, but instead we're relying upon putting our trust in the sovereign king of the universe, the creator of all things, the one true God. What does that even look like? Like, what would your life look like, and what would my life look like, and what would the Maple Grove look like if we fully depended upon God? Like, would we do different things? Would we go to new places? Would we take on bigger challenges? Would we respond to crisis and opportunities differently? If we're depending not on our own talent, ability, plan, strategies, intellect, strength, resources, and reason, but instead we're relying on, we're putting our trust in God. We honor biblical authority and we depend on God. And here's how, here's how I want to attack this uh, conversation. I, I want to look at a few snapshots of people in the Bible who are dependent on God. I want to I read a few passages of scriptures, answer a few questions, make a few statements, and then hopefully we'll leave here more willing and more able to begin to depend on God more and more. Heavenly Father, we humbly, I humbly, we humbly come into your presence. We recognize that you're great and powerful, that we are talking to the one who's the creator of heaven and earth, who's before all things and over all things and holds all things together. Uh, Father, we cannot fathom your greatness. You're holy and just and good and kind. You pick us up when we fall. You fill us up when we're dry. You lead us on the right path. And God, I pray today that you would just help us to lean into this conversation. Help me not to share anything that you do not want me to share. Help me, God, to learn. Help us to learn what it means to really depend on you. In Jesus' name, amen. The first snapshot is in Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1 through verse 12. And as this chapter opens up, Moses is 80 years old. He's been tending sheep for 40 years. That's right, 14,000 plus days of desert, desert heat, desert sand, and staring at a bunch of, I think that's my phone. I love you so much. You're amazing, incredible. I don't want to close my eyes because I might miss you. And I don't want, oh, that's just, <laughs> she didn't say that at all. I just, I don't want to close my eyes because I'd miss you, babe. <laughs> I think I love you, but what am I so afraid of? I'm afraid that I'm not sure of. Okay, sorry. Hey, I'm not well. And, and I own it. You got to own who you are, right? And I'm not, I'm not well. Okay, I, I, and that's, that's okay with me. Uh, but listen, every day of Moses' life, each day was like the last day, right? And I guarantee when Moses woke up on this day, he thought this day would be just like every day that went before, right? He had no idea that things were about to change. No idea that God was about to involve him in delivering his people. No idea that when the sun set that night, that everything would be totally different and never the same again. Here's, my, here's a point there. Uh, church, you never know what God is getting ready to do. You never know what God is getting ready to do when you wake up in the morning. You never know what he's planning to do that could radically change your life because our God is still alive and active and working in our world. Amen? 
And when he decides to move, I mean, things can change big time in a mere heartbeat. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames from within a bush. Moses saw that. Though the bush was on fire, it did not burn. So Moses thought, that's nuts, that's crazy. I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to Moses from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. And I want you to know, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you're suffering, you're going through a difficult time, God is concerned about your suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land. We serve a God who likes to bring us up out of, and not just bring us up out of, but to move us into a spacious and good land, a land flowing with milk and honey. All those first-person pronouns, I have seen, I have heard, I'm concerned, I'm coming down, I'm going to do something. See, God's mind is set. His, his plan was in motion. Failure was not an option. Nothing would stop him and nothing would stand in his way. His people would be delivered. The redemption mission would go on as scheduled. And Moses is probably thinking, yeah, awesome, great God, I cannot wait to see our people delivered. But then in verse 10, I think Moses' enthusiasm goes down a notch or two when God lets him know that, like, he's part of the plan. So now, Moses, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh. I'm sending you, who've been staring at sheep butts for 14,000 days, I'm sending you to go before the most powerful man in the world to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? And I think what is going through Moses' mind is what goes through our mind when we feel that God is calling us to do something that's beyond our abilities. Are you serious, God? Are you talking to me? Is this a joke? You don't really think I can pull this thing off? And God says, no, I don't think that you can pull this thing off. You see, God was not relying on and counting on Moses' skill and ability to break the bonds that his people had been held captive by. All God was looking for was somebody with skin on to trust him enough to stand up and speak out for him and lead his people to where they needed to go. And by the way, God is still looking for those same kind of people, right? It's not, you've heard this cute saying, and it may sound cute and corny, but it's true. You know, God is not necessarily looking for ability. He's looking for what? Availability, right? I mean, if God can talk through a donkey, right? right? Tell your neighbor, if God can talk through a donkey, he can talk through you, right? If God can use a donkey, he can use you. Every, every week you watch him 
try to use me. So like anything is possible, right? And notice that God doesn't respond to Moses' self-doubt with a pep talk. He doesn't enroll Moses in classes for the you-can-do-it theology in an effort to boost his confidence. He doesn't try to pump up his self-esteem and say, Moses, I believe in you, Moses. You can do this, Moses. He doesn't say that. Instead, God answers Moses' question of who am I to do this with the five most life-changing and perspective-shifting words ever spoken. I will be with you. God is saying to Moses, don't worry about who you are and what you're not, because what really matters is that I am going with you. And if I am going with you, then everything will turn out the way that I want it to turn out. Amen? It's kind of like what was said to his you know, Moses' protege, Joshua, in Joshua 1.9. Some of you, this is your favorite verse. Maybe some of you need to hear it today. God's Word's living and active. It's been speaking these words that spoke for 3,000 years. Maybe at home you need to hear these words. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. And you know what? In this world today, right, there's a lot to be, well, I don't know how much there's to be afraid of, but the world wants you to be afraid, right? You know, let's be afraid of everything. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Why? It's crazy. What's going to happen with COVID, the economy? I don't know what's going to happen. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Why? Because the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go, right? That's why. And listen, acknowledging that God's presence is with us, the ocean-holding, star-breathing God is with us, is life-changing. And life impacting. So Moses got up and left the desert, and we know the rest of the story. Sap stops number two is Second Kings chapter 18. As this chapter opens up, the Assyrian army has surrounded Jerusalem. They just conquered the northern kingdom. There's 186,000 enemy soldiers surrounding the Jerusalem. And the, the king, Sennacherib, sends a message to the people and the king Hezekiah, basically telling them your only hope is to surrender. No one, you can depend on no one. You can't depend on Egypt. You can't even depend on this God that Hezekiah keeps telling you to trust. 2 Kings 18, verse 32. Do not listen to Hezekiah. He's the king of Judah at the time. For he's misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? You know what Hezekiah did when he got that letter? I'll tell you what he didn't do. He didn't call an emergency cabinet meeting and gather all his military leaders and plan a strategy. What he did is he, he took that letter, you know, he took that letter, right? He took that letter and he goes to the temple of God and he spreads that letter, he spreads this letter out, out open before God, and he cries out to God. His first reaction when this crisis hit was to run to the temple, to spread out before God the things that he was afraid of, the thing that he couldn't handle, the thing that was overwhelming him. He cries out to God. What an example. And here's what he prays. So good. Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God. 
over all the kingdoms of the earth, including Assyria, including that arrogant Sennacherib who sent me this stinking letter. I don't know if he thought all that, but I would. Uh, you have made heaven and earth. And see, not only in this is he, is he, could you go back? Not only is he praising God, right? But he's reminding himself of who God is. And that's so important in a crisis, right? To remind ourselves of exactly who God is. Then he says, give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words that Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It's true, Lord. The Shuren kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they're not gods, but only wood and stones fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kings of the earth will know that you alone, Lord, are God. What a powerful prayer that this man prays as he's overwhelmed by an advancing army. And listen, you and I cry out to the very same God. We do. We do. But, but here's what I think. I think that somehow... We believe that Hezekiah and Moses, like, and David, they had greater access to God in prayer than we did, right? Like, I mean, like, when it comes to crying out to God, they were in first class, and we're way back in coach, the very last row, right? That's where we are. Could not be further from the truth. You know what? We have greater access to God, and we have a greater position before God in prayer than David had that Moses had, that Abram had. And if you don't believe me, here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence because of Jesus, we can go there. The veil's been torn in two so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And let me tell you, God answered the prayer of that desperate king. I mean, that very night, while God's people were all snug in their beds with vision of destruction dancing in their heads, right? God sent an angel of the Lord and took out about 186,000 enemy soldiers. And we read, so Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew to Nineveh and stayed there. No kidding. You know what he learned? Don't mess with God and don't mess with God's people, right? I'm going back home. Don't be my legs. No way. I'm not going back there again. Chapter three is a guy named Nehemiah. So look at Nehemiah. What's up? Nehemiah is in Persia. He actually has a very high and position in intimate. You know what he does? You know? That's right. Amen. He, <laughs> he has a very influential and powerful position in the administration. I just translated that for you, right? I spoke in tongues and then I translated it. So <laughs> according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're good, right? <laughs> well, one day some friends from Jerusalem come back and they let them know that the walls to Jerusalem are still in ruins. Walls that were destroyed over 150 years earlier by Babylon. And a city without walls back then 
was not a good thing, right? You're very vulnerable. And, and when he heard about this, he, he wept and he fasted for many days, crying out to God. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some time. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses? If you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But also remember, he also said that if you return to me and obey my commands, that even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from where they are and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. They are your servants and your people. And you're redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servants success today by granting them favor in the presence of this man. This man would be King Artaxerxes, and he's about to go into his presence. And when he goes into Artaxerxes' presence, he's sad. He's never been sad in king's presence before. And kind of the deal was, like, if you ever sat in the king's presence, that was kind of like death penalty, right? Because, like, you should always be happy if you're in the king's presence, right? So he, he's really taking a risk here, and he's sad. And, and, and Artaxerxes says, what's up? Why are you so sad? He goes, well, hey, you know, these, back home, the walls are still in ruins. It's terrible back then. And the king says, well, what, what do you want? What can I do for you? And then he sends up a quick flare prayer, right? Hey, God, help me right now. And he says, okay, here's, here's what you can do. You can let me go back home. You can make sure I have safe passage, and then you can fund the rebuilding project for the walls in Jerusalem. And the king, you know what the king said? Sure. And in 52 days, walls that had been in ruin for 150 plus years were rebuilt. Just one more snapshot. I, I wish I could share more. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are just released from jail. They were told, hey, don't talk about Jesus anymore or you're going to suffer. And they said, sorry, but we can't do that. And then we read this. When the believers heard this, they prayed to God together. Lord, you're the one who made the sky, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. See a pattern how all these people start out? Remind, hey, God, you're big and you're, you made everything. By the Holy Spirit, through our father David, your servant, you said, why are the nations so angry? Why are the people making useless plans? The kings of the earth prepared to fight, and their leaders make plans together against the Lord and his Christ. These things really happened when Herod, Pontius Pilate, and some Jews and non-Jews all came together against Jesus here in Jerusalem. Jesus is your holy servant, the one you made to be the Christ. These people made your plan happen. It was, it was God's idea, not their idea, because of your power and your will. And now, Lord, listen to their threats. Lord, help us, your servants, to speak your word without fear. Show us your power to heal. Give proofs and make miracles happen by the power of Jesus, your holy servant. Do you notice what they didn't pray for? Lord, protect us from their threats. Lord, please remove these threats. What do they pray? Hey, help us to speak your word without fear in the face of these threats. And, they read, and then they prayed... After they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. 
They were filled with the Holy Spirit. What did they pray for? Hey, can help us to speak the word boldly, even in persecution. And they spoke God's word without what? Without fear. Four snapshots. Here's some scriptures, some of my favorite scriptures about depending on God. Psalm 27 and 8. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, some trust in their jobs, some trust in their career, some trust in their intellect, some trust in their pension plan, some trust in their investments, some trust in their abilities, some trust in their, their physical appearance or whatever. But we trust in the Lord our God. They are overwhelmed and defeated. Ever been there? But we march forward and win. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. We're not that smart. In all your ways, submit to him, and he'll make your path straight. Isaiah 31, 1, what sorrow awaits those who look to Egypt for help, trusting their horses, chariots, and charioteers, and depending on the strength of human armies, instead of looking to the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Like he says, man, people are in trouble. Instead of looking to me, they're looking everywhere else but me for help. And then Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 1. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed, overwhelmed, beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. This Paul. But as a result, we stop relying on ourselves. We stop depending on ourselves, and we started depending on God who raises the dead. If you have a choice between depending on yourself and somebody who can raise the dead, I think that's an easy choice, right? He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again on him. We set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. A few questions. Why should we depend on God? I can think of four reasons. I want God wants us to depend on him. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Has your heart ever been troubled? Jesus' disciples' hearts were troubled in John 14 as they go to the garden knowing Jesus is about to die. What are we to do with a troubled heart? What does Jesus want us to do? Trust in God. And trust also in me. You see, the sovereign king of the universe wants you to trust him, and he wants you to depend on him. How awesome is that? Check out what God says about depending on him in Jeremiah chapter 17. This is what the Lord says. Curse are those who put their trust in mere humans and rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. See, as you go back again, you guys are awesome. Who... Rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. See, when, when, when you and I trust, when I trust in something other than God, in God's eyes, what have I done? I've turned my heart away from him. And I'm not trusting in him. For result, they are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in a barren wilderness in an uninhabited, salty land. But blessed are those you may want to highlight this in your Bible, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and who have made the Lord their hope and their confidence. Where is your hope and where is your confidence this morning? 
They're like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees, they're not bothered by the heat. What's bothering you? They're not worried about long months of drought. Their leaves stay green, and they never stop producing fruit. Because God wants us to, and next because we should trust God because God is crazy big. He's not just big, our God is crazy big. Scripture says that, that God holds, right, in the hollow of God's hand. All right, see, see, see how much I can get in here. Okay, there we go. Oh, it's leaking. It's leaking. It's leaking. Okay, there's approximately 326 million trillions of gallons of water on the earth. <laughs> you know, and God holds. You ever been to the ocean, the beach? That's just a piece of it. God holds that all in his hands. And more so, just analogy to see how big he is, right? With his hands, he stretched out the heavens. The earth is just like mere dust to him. He created all the stars in heaven. Some stars so big that the earth could revolve around the sun inside of some of these stars, and God just breathed them out. Psalm 40 says, look up, lift your eyes and look at the heavens. Who created all these? Like, like he created the Milky Way galaxy. You know what the Milky Way galaxy is shaped like? What's that? It's a pancake. It's shaped like a pancake. I, I so much want to throw this, i got to be honest, like a Frisbee. I don't know. After church by myself, I'll toss it because you know, we have guests here. They may be like, you know. <laughs> it, it, it's, you know how big it is? It's 100,000 light years in length. And a light year is what? How far light travels, right, in a year. And it travels 186,000 miles a second, which means it's 6 trillion miles in a year. Multiply that by 100,000. That's how big this is. And God just said, hey, Milky Way galaxy. Boom, there it is. Like, our, our God is bigger than this. But imagine seeing someone who's big enough to hold the Milky Way galaxy in his hand. That's like, our God is crazy big. Like, if God can hold a pancake... If God can hold the Milky Way galaxy, I think God can handle anything that comes in your life and mind, don't you? You think anything's too big for God that can do that? I don't think so. We should also defend God because God is mind-blowingly good. Psalm 34, 6 says, 34, 8 says, examine, David says, examine and see how good the Lord is. Check it out. Test, see how good he is. Let's do that just for a second. How good is God? Listen, God did not have to make his creation so incredible, sunrises so breathtaking, snow so white. He didn't have to make ocean waves caressing the beach so relaxing. He didn't have to make mountain peaks so majestic. He didn't have to make fruit so tasty, his word so encouraging, his throne so accessible, his grace so amazing, his mercy new every morning, our hope so living. He didn't have to make his spirit to come and live inside of us. He didn't have to make his son come and die for us, but he did because our God is mind-blowingly good. We should depend on God because he wants us to, because he's crazy big, he's mind-blowingly good, and he's absolutely trustworthy. Have you ever depended on somebody and you found out they weren't so trustworthy? That's not God. Psalm 89.8, Lord God, all-powerful, who is likely like you? Lord, you are powerful and completely trustworthy. If we are faithful, he remains faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13, for he cannot deny who he is. And who is he? He's a God who's 100% trustworthy. Now, aren't you glad that 
God's faithfulness does not depend on your faithfulness. So if God is, is crazy big, and if God wants us to depend on him, if he's mind-blowingly good, and absolutely trustworthy, then why do we struggle with depending on him? few reasons. One reason, one reason is always Satan, right? And we know that, right? He doesn't want you to depend on God, so he doesn't want you to do that. But I think one reason is the American culture. And don't be deceived, you are affected by the culture in which you live. Dependence equals weakness in our culture, right? Independence is strength, right? And, and, and let's be honest, it's hard to depend on God. It's hard to really ask God for a daily bread in a first world country. I mean, we got our jobs, right? We're not all that worried about getting sick necessarily because, you know, we have health insurance. We have our 401ks. We have our pension plans. We have our investments, right? And so it's kind of hard to really depend. You know, some people in the world, when they pray, give us this their deadly bread, they mean it. <laughs> like, they may not eat today. They may not have food. They have no access to health care. They don't have clean water. So in a first world country, oh, we got clean water. We're not worried. I'm not worried about work. I'm having clean water today. Are you? Anybody worry about eating? Probably eating too much, right? So it's hard in, in, in the first world country that has so much. And it's hard even when you live in a country that, that kind of wants people to depend not on God, but depend on the government. The government isn't God, right? Don't depend on the government, right? We depend on God and we depend on each other as a church, right? Another reason is because why don't we trust, why don't we depend on God? Because we don't really know him. It's hard to trust somebody you don't know. And if you do not read your Bible, you don't really know God. This, this is revelation about who God is, what he does, and how he sees you, right? And so, you know, you don't know who he is, so it's hard to trust him. Uh, I think a third reason is you depended on people in the past and they let you down and now you have this defense mechanism that, you know what, I'm not going to be beholden to nobody, right? I hate depending on people, right? I can't depend on anybody. I'm not going to get my hopes up. Sure, you say you're going to help me, but I'm not getting my hopes up. But listen, I, I stand before you today based on authority of the word of God that when it comes to depending on God, get your hopes up. Get your hopes way up because God is faithful and God is trustworthy. God is faithful and God is trustworthy. Repeat, Eric. Let's, on count of three, we're going to say God is faithful like we mean it. One, two, three. God is faithful. Okay, that, I'll give you a four on that, on the scale of 100. No, okay, ready? It's like you mean it, right? You're going through a hard time. Maybe you are, right? And you don't know how it's going to work out. One, two, three. God is faithful. I remember being in Bangladesh. I can't remember how we said it, and I forget how you say their language, but I was there eight years ago. We, we were chanting that. I learned how to say, like, God is faithful, God is good, right? And I go, God is faithful, God is good. And it was just so incredible, but God is faithful, and God is good. How do we depend on God? Three ways. We're, we're wrapping this up, but prayer. Hitting our knees often and crying out to him. God, we need you. I need your help. By asking the pancake-holding God for pancake kind of things. By like Hezekiah, Nehemiah, and the early church, making our very first reaction to a hard time, to hit our knees and cry out to him and come to God first. Like Hezekiah, 
Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You make the heavens and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes and see. Or like Nehemiah, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him. Let your ears and eyes be open to our prayers. Or like the early church, Lord, you're the one who made the sky and everything in them. Hear our prayers. Consider what's against us. Stretch out your hand and move in supernatural ways and and do the things, God, that only you can do. See, our our prayer life, as a church and individually, is an indication of how much we depend on God. Because prayer is so critical, the very next conversation in this series will be how to depend on God, the sequel, (laughs) part two, And, and just about prayer. What is it? What does it do? And how do we do it better? How do we become a praying people, right? Another way to depend on God is by following his word, doing what it says, living by its truth, trusting what it says, and going where it tells us to go. Third way, walking with and leaning on the spirit. See, God's spirit lives inside of us. And so, you know that inner conviction as a believer, you get maybe to do something good, to reach out, to take a risk, to put off some of the old ways? That's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Satan will never tell you, hey, go help that poor person. Never, never tell you to do that. He'll never tell you, hey, that coworker's going through a hard time. I know you're busy. I know you have a lunch appointment you have planned for a long time, but that person really looks like they're hurting. Would you walk over to their cubicle and just say, hi, how are you doing? And let me take it from there, right? And, and, and the more you do that, the more you'll hear him. The more you tune him out and say, well, yeah, I know Holy Spirit, but man, I haven't seen my, these people in a long time, and yeah, I, I just got to go. They'll be okay. Lord, please send someone to help them, right? The more you tune him out, but the more you tune into everything he says, you'll be in tune to the Holy Spirit in ways that just will blow your mind. Okay, here's the statements. And you're going to tune in because I'm going to be done. You're going to say, wow, I can't believe he's done, and I, I, I wasn't tuning in at the last. Here's the statements. Good statements. God is most glorified in us when we are most dependent on him. I want you to think about that, these statements this week. The outline will be on the website. You can watch the sermon again. You can grab an outline on your way out with these statements. I want you to think about these state, that statement. God is most glorified in me when I'm most dependent on him. Here's the next statement. We cannot and will not accomplish God's mission without his power. Just won't. He told a guy named Zerubbabel who was tasked with rebuilding the temple and really didn't have a good budget. Uh, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, not your ability, not your might, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? What are you, obstacle? What are you standing in the way of Zerubbabel? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then we'll bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Final statement, when we really depend on God, we will both see and experience things that are unexplainable apart from him. Would you like to see things and experience things that are unexplainable apart from him? How how do you explain an 80-year-old guy rescuing God's people from Egyptian empire? How, How do you explain walls being rebuilt 
in 52 days, funded by the Persian Empire that had been ruined for 150 years, right? How do you explain that? How do you explain while, people, while God's people are sleeping, entire army being defeated? How do you explain those things, right? You can't, apart from God. And the more we depend on them, we're going, hey, I have no stinking idea that happened. <laughs> what in the world? It's good, but I have no idea, right? Because if everything we do can be explained by us, it ain't all that impressive. <laughs> Amen? Hey, here's your life work for this week. If you choose to accept it. And this paper will destruct in 30 seconds. <laughs> Read the Bible. If you're not joined in and our faith comes from hearing, it's still not too late. I've been hounding everybody who I have a text of or you have your email about this faith comes from hearing plan. You know, you know, five to ten minutes a day, if you join in, you will help this church be united around the same words from God. You know, if you don't, have not received a text from me yet, and you would love to receive a text from me with this plan, um, my phone number is 434-284-1057. We got about 40 people I've harassed into this plan, and I'm okay with harassing people to to uh, read the Bible. Like yesterday, passing out food. I'm okay with harassing people to take more free food. Hey, you want two boxes of food? You got neighbors, right? Why don't you take five? <laughs> okay, we'll take five and pass them out, right? I'm okay. Um, and th- then I, I'd like for you to take a look at the prayers of Hezekiah and Nehemiah in the early church and just say, hey, what is, it, what is this teaching me how to pray and how to pray to God? What can I learn from their prayers? And then pray for yourself and pray for the mission of his church at Maple Grove. Read the Bible, look at those prayers, and pray. And as we had said many, many years ago, and let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. Core value number two of our operation system of his church is we depend on God. Your God is crazy big. Your God is mind-blowingly good. And your God is absolutely trustworthy. And your God takes the Milky Way galaxy, right? And you can say, there it goes. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I, will clean, I promise I'll clean that up. It'll be me. Steve Bailey's not here. Steve, if you're watching online, I promise. I know you care about the carpet. There was no syrup, right? You know, and no children were hurt in that demonstration, right? <laughs> it's everywhere. That was so fun. I threw things as a kid all the time. You know, I'm sorry. But anyhow, um, I have no idea where I was. You know, I shouldn't have done that. I just totally lost things, right? But the praise things are going to come up. And I just want you to know, and God wants you to know, stop depending on yourself. And, and don't think depending on other people is the answer. When God says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Father God, we love you. And God, we need you. And God, I pray that, Lord, I tell you what Satan doesn't want. He doesn't want the people in this room, people at home to read their Bible this week. Doesn't want it. He doesn't want us in this room and those at home to look at those prayers of men. Look at words that you chose to breathe through your spirit and have men write down and preserve them for thousands of years. He, he does not want people to look at those prayers, those powerful prayers, and, and, and learn from them how to cry out to you in desperate times. 
And he doesn't want us to pray to learn how to be more dependent individually as a church. But Father God, I, I pray that, that we push every distraction aside and, and this week we read and we pray and we reflect and we realize that life does not depend on us when we depend on you. God, we need you. Amen.